Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. We are live and back and ready to go. I uh, I took a quick, long weekend vacation, but I am back in this chair. And let me tell you, the timing could not be better. We have a Copa America draw to dissect and uh, and discuss today. I very much hope that our man Eddie in Brooklyn is out there listening right now and able to call in later on in the show. We'll take your calls later in the show. I imagine it's going to be a lot about Copa America, but it it, it may range into some other areas. There's, there's a lot of things that happened this weekend, including that draw. Charlie Bohm is going to join us momentarily. I had a couple of things to talk to Charlie about, not just the Copa America draw, not just what the United States faces as they go into the biggest tournament on American soil in uh, how many years is this now? Uh, 22 years. Uh, not just that, but also the U.S. women dominating at the CONCACAF Olympic qualifying tournament, doing what they do in that tournament and uh, rocking it uh, all the way to Rio. That is a terrible, terrible thing to say. Where did I come up with that? I have no idea. Let's do the news so that I don't say really weird, corny things anymore. And again, Charlie Bohm coming up to talk about the U.S. women and the U.S. men. And then we'll take plenty of your phone calls here on a Monday. You can also hit us up at Soccer Morning on Twitter. You know how that works. Hit the Twitter machine and you'll be good to go. All right, let's start with this Copa America draw. The United States in Group A drawing Colombia, Costa Rica, and Paraguay. Certainly not uh, a group of death, but very close in terms of what the United States thought they might face. A, a, a Not a worst-case scenario, but not that far away from a worst-case scenario either. Group B, Brazil, Ecuador, Haiti, and Peru. Group C, Mexico, Uruguay, Jamaica, and Venezuela. And Group D, Argentina, the defending champion Chile, Panama, and Bolivia. So, not only do you have the United States facing off against, uh, you know, a powerhouse in Colombia, although questions over what Peckerman brings to this tournament, a, a, a top-level CONCACAF country in Costa Rica and Paraguay, who is uh, on their day a tough out at the very least, you have a situation where the second-place finisher in Group A is more than likely going to end up facing Brazil, who are likely to win Group B. So, it all lays out very very difficultly for the United States of America, U.S. Men's National Team Head Coach Jurgen Klinsmann targeting survival, targeting a knockout round uh, appearance for the United States of America. Now, we will debate whether or not that's the right target, and we will certainly debate whether or not the United States and Jurgen Klinsmann have uh, systematically reduced expectations, especially when you are on home soil in this tournament. It is difficult. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but you're supposed to show up when the, when the thing is happening in, uh, your backyard. We'll see how this goes. The U.S. Women's National Team again, winning the CONCACAF Olympic qualifying tournament 2-0 over Canada in Frisco, Texas yesterday. Lindsey Horan and Tobin Heath scoring for the United States in the second half. Both the United States and Canada move on to the Olympic tournament in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Now, I heard that John Herdman, uh, head coach of Canada threw his, uh, second, his second place medal into the stands. So, that's fun. The U.S. Uh, USA are the three-time defending Olympic champions, uh, and they've won four gold medals overall. The U.S. women scored 23 goals in the Olympic qualifying tournament, and they gave up zero. Crystal Dunn wins golden boot for top scorer with six goals. Morgan Bryan won golden ball for best player. And Hope Solo won golden glove for best goalkeeper. So there's the U.S. women dominating um, as we would expect them to in that tournament. The FA Cup fifth round over the weekend. Arsenal drawing with Hull. That sets up a replay. A fifth round replay for those two teams. Reading 3-1 over West Brom. Watford 1-0 over Leeds United. Bournemouth losing to Everton 0-2. Blackburn falling to West Ham 1-5. Spurs knocking out Palace. Uh, sorry, Spurs knocked out by Palace. Excuse me. Palace winning uh, at White Hart Lane, one nothing. Chelsea throttling a young, young city side put out by Manuel Pellegrini, 5-1. Shrewsbury Town and Manchester United play today in the fifth round. Your quarterfinal draw, Everton versus Chelsea, Reading versus Crystal Palace, the winner of that Shrewsbury-Manchester United match, okay, against West Ham, and the winner of Arsenal and Hull against Watford. So, 
FA Cup uh, quarterfinal round already drawn. There you go. 17-year-old American midfielder Christian Pulisic made his first start for Dortmund in the Bundesliga on Saturday in a one nothing win over Bayer Leverkusen. He played 45 minutes before being replaced by Marco Royce in the second half. Uh, this is the next step for a talented young player, a string puller, an exciting young creative talent that American fans may want to see move into the senior, t- uh, senior team sooner rather than later. Here's what Jurgen Klinsmann had to say about the idea that Christian Pulisic is ready. I think giving him compliments, giving him encouragement, but just keeping things on the ground is really important right now. I'll talk to his coach. I'll talk to him and just keep things balanced because that's a lot uh, not for not even an 18-year-old. So we'll keep things grounded, but we're excited that we have a talent like him coming through the ranks. I think, um, you know, look, my opinion means nothing in this situation, but I certainly think that uh, Christian Pulisic shouldn't be pushed into a prominent spot in the U.S. men's national team anytime soon. And if you bring him into the team and he's starting for Dortmund, I don't know how often this is going to happen, by the way, but even if he's getting regular minutes for Dortmund, there's going to be a lot of pressure for Jurgen Klinsmann to put him into the American lineup. And is he ready for that? I don't know. I think that there's a lesson to be learned by the Julian Green situation, although, of course, Julian Green had not broken in to the Bayern Munich senior team when Jurgen Klinsmann tapped him on the shoulder and brought him to the World Cup in 2014. By the way, where is Julian Green? Oh, still in the reserve division. Other results from the weekend. Atletico Madrid suffering a giant setback in their bid to track down Barcelona in La Liga with a goalless draw against Villarreal. Real Madrid drawing Malaga, so a blow to their title chances as well. Barcelona extending that lead in La Liga uh, with a 2-1 win. Over Las Palmas, just taking a brief look at the standings in La Liga as they as they sit right now, an eight point lead for Barcelona over Atletico Madrid and a nine point lead over Real Madrid in uh, in Spain. Roma five nothing winners over Palermo. Although the uh, story of the day when it comes to Roma is not the five nothing scoreline, it's Edin Dzeko and that miss. I, what? I don't understand. Go watch the watch Edin Dzeko and miss a wide open net for Roma uh, on the weekend. Fiorentina wins three two away to Atalanta. Inter beats Sampdoria three one. Bayern Munich beating Darm, Darmstadt three one in Germany. Hurt to Berlin with a draw against Wolfsburg one one. And you got a big match in Italy today as Napoli hosts AC Milan in Syria. All right, that sets us up very very nicely. All of that news, all of that information for Charlie Bohm. To join us, we'll talk U.S. Men's National Team in the Copa America draw. We'll talk the U.S. women and their domination in Texas. Soccer morning. Backkill.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. All right, we are back on Soccer Morning. It is Monday, February 22nd, 2016, and our friend Charlie Bohm joins us. Uh, it's been a little while. Hey, Charlie, how are you? Doing well, Jason. Glad to be here. Glad uh, I'm, I'm off the, the band list. Oh, stop it. Whatever. <laughs> like that's a thing. Uh, yeah, we, we, we're, not, we're not FIFA. We're not handing out uh, bands around here. Uh, follow Charlie on Twitter at CBOEHM and uh, read his work all over the place, including SoccerWire.com, MLSSoccer.com, U.S. Soccer Players. Anyway, uh, it's a lot of places. Uh, Charlie, let's start with the Copa America draw. We're going to spend a lot of time on the U.S. women and what they did in the Olympic qualifying tournament. But uh, we are setting the stage for a, gi- a gigantic tournament coming up uh, this summer. Regardless of how the U.S. men do, it will be a big event for soccer in the United States of America. But it would be nice to see Jurgen Klinsmann's team make some noise. And uh, knowing what we knew about the potential draw, there, were, there, were, there weren't any easy draws. But this is among the toughest they could have gotten. Yeah, I, you know, I can't remember the, um, the specifics of the... The, the statistical breakdown of uh, of the you know worst and best case scenarios for this um, for the draw for the U.S. as a seeded team, but I think this is at or near the worst case scenario uh, in that regard, in terms of how it could have gone. Um, I, I'm I've gotten a lot of flack <laughs> on Twitter for suggesting that, that that the U.S. should should feel 
um, should make this a clear goal that they, they it's eminently within them to uh, to advance out of this group. Um, there's certainly a lot of doom and gloom so far, but I, I think it could have certainly gone better. Uh, but it could have been a lot worse, and and uh, this is you know this kind of draw is, is what it's all about. It's the whole point of participating in tournaments like this. So yeah. uh, I certainly hope they'll the uh, that the U.S. national team will take a more positive outlook on it than their fans have uh, thus far. But we shall see. You know, I think that certainly my uh, you know where I sit, I'm more attuned to the United States, clearly, of course, but also Costa Rica and, and their qualities. Um, when you throw in the the two South American teams, it gets a little dicier for me just on where they sit at the moment, Charlie. Not that I don't understand the quality of Colombia overall, or that Paraguay can be a feisty, difficult team to beat on their day. But I'm gonna I'm gonna just lean on Tim Vickery here uh, for obvious reasons at ESPN FC. He calls this the most balanced of all the groups, and he also says that um, you know th- th- there are some questions over whether or not Colombia or Paraguay are going to bring their quote-unquote best teams, or if Peckerman is going to use this as a springboard for some younger domestically-based talent. That could change things. That's one of the things we don't know about this tournament is exactly how each one of these individual countries is going to handle putting together their roster. Exactly. Yeah, it's true. And and uh, I'm hearing that there's uncertainty about the role that James Rodriguez will play, who's obviously a, 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 a one of the sort of megastars of this event if he takes part. But now it seems that that's not entirely certain. So, um, you know, I, I think any Columbia team is going to give the U.S. A, um, a, a stiff challenge, even if he goes with kids. Um, you know, that in of itself sort of creates a, a different dilemma, a different challenge for the U.S. because um, an unproven Columbia squad is going to be uh, uh, every bit or more hungry than uh, than the senior squad, the first choice squad. So, you know, that's a, that's a, a team or a, a nation that is clearly churning out uh, plenty of elite talent. Uh, I don't see it being an easy match for the U.S. under any circumstances. Uh, Paraguay is a, another interesting case. I mean, they, they simply, um, you know, I know their their identity has evolved a bit in recent years. They're not quite the um, the, the defense first, last, and only uh, group that, that we may have uh, seen in past World Cups. Um, you know, when you look in the big picture, the player pool they have, the, 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 the number of, um, you know, the amount of talent and the number of players they can call on, um, I, I think the U.S. should should go into that match feeling, um, you know, or, or, or I guess setting a goal of at least a point, you know, ideally all three mm-hmm. uh, from that Paraguay match. So these are, you know, these are uncertain uh, opponents. They're unfamiliar opponents. And they are coming out of really a, a very outstanding uh, competitive cauldron of Conmebol. Um, but I don't think they are the, um, they're the, uh, the unbeatable opposition that that they're being characterized at as in some quarters. Yeah, you know, as this, um, you know, as with every tournament, uh, especially you know after that 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 difficult uh, World Cup challenge that the United States actually you know on some level met. We may have issues. I may have issues with the way that they played, but clearly <laughs> you get enough points to get out of the group when you've got Ghana and Germany and Portugal with you. You, you did something right, and, and Klinsman is is leaning on that certainly, and in talking about that blueprint. Talking about the, you know, we we've been here before. We know how uh, how difficult um, th- these tournaments can be, and we know how to get out of these groups. It it, it doesn't all turn on that first match against Colombia, but if they get a point out of that match, it, it does change the complete the complexion of the group pretty dramatically. And you do have to, I mean, not that you can plan for this, Charlie, but you do have to think about well, if we finish second in the group, uh, then we get Brazil in the, in the knockout rounds. Well, let's see. I mean, that's that's a bridge you cross when you get there. I think, um, and it's you know, yes, yeah, certainly. I, I don't think it's out of the range of possibility that the U.S. could win this group, but um, you know, but advancement I think is where you start, uh, and then you go from there, depending on uh, on what's what's put in front of you. And I think there's uncertainty all throughout this tournament because it's so uh, unprecedented and unique. I, I don't know what each squad will look like necessarily. So um, we're, we're way too far out to, to sort of game plan too deep into the bracket. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Klinsman, it's, it, to his credit, I think he's, um, he's not, uh, I don't think, trying too hard yet to manage expectations. He said the objective is, is getting out of the group. Um, and, and he's pointed to the fact that, you know, repeating what he said a couple of years ago now, that the next step for the program is learning how to win these knockout games, beating elite competition in uh, in win or else circumstances, and uh, they have every opportunity to do that. So I, I was pleased, I think, to see uh, the coach himself um, acknowledge the difficulty and, um, and and yet you know suggest that his team um, can manage this, they can handle this task. So I, I hope that is the 
the the outlook that continues, um, and, and I expect it will be. Okay, so uh, here we sit, uh, having come out of a January camp that that we knew wasn't going to inform much in terms of of what Klinsman's going to uh, do with this tournament, and and we also have March qualifiers coming up. Do we do we have any sense really? What the the makeup, what the best makeup of this team is right at this moment? I mean, I, I, I don't know, Charlie. Well, Klinsman has suggested, you know, based on what I've read and heard him say over the last couple months here, that um, I think we'll see a, a European and Mexican heavy squad for next month's qualifiers, uh, and that's just a, a factor of um, what he sees as the the, the schedule issues. You know, the, he's pointed out that MLS will just be getting started. Um, he, he's going to want guys who are uh, in full form and full fitness. So I think we'll see a, a fairly veteran-heavy, um, uh, overseas-heavy group next month. From there, you know, everything kind of hinges on how they do. Um, I think they should absolutely approach the Guatemala matches as um, four points as a minimum, ideally six points, which can really sort of um, uh, effectively book their place in the uh, final round of CONCACAF qualifying into the hexagonal. And from there, you can turn and turn your focus almost entirely to the Copa America, and preparing the, uh, the the squad, looking at the sort of uh, partnerships and interactions that you want in your starting eleven. So um, yeah, certainly there's uncertain, there's there's doubts, and and there'll be players who are dropped and players who are called in based on form. Um, but my, my sense, um, especially watching the way he handled the Concacaf Cup uh, back in the fall. I think he's going to try and go with, uh, you know, a largely trusted, proven group, and, and then maybe sprinkle in a bit of youth. Uh, of course, we have big X factors like Christian Pulisic. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that he'll go young per se as a as a roster, but I'm sure that we'll see a few youngins, maybe a couple surprise uh, call ups, kind of sprinkled into the the mix. Uh, just just for for people who um, who, who maybe have lost track of them a bit since um, you know I don't know since the Gold Cup last year certainly. Uh, you know their own uh, grievances with the way that th- those things turned out. Costa Rica at this moment. I mean, this is a country that I-, I don't think it's unfair to say that they typically punch above their weight, Charlie. At least in terms of the resources, and and if we're going to use population as a metric for for talent, they are uh, uh, one of those countries that um, gets everything out of what they've got. Are they in a position now where where they can head into? Obviously, qualifying as, as that un- un- unrolls itself, but also in terms of, of the Co- Copa America tournament, where they can target something specific—a a knockout round, a quarterfinal berth. Yeah, I'm sure they feel like you know similar situations to the U.S. They feel like this um, this group is there for them if they if they perform. Um, Costa Rica has been an interesting moment. They did beat the U.S. Uh, in a friendly, um, um, kind of that hangover friendly, a few days after the the Concacaf Cup game. Um, you know, you have to give them credit for that win over the U.S. on U.S. soil, but there are a lot of asterisks attached to it because of the the, the hangover, the, the mental state of the American team, and so forth. But when you you know, and I have to um, credit um, Soccer America's Paul Kennedy here. He he dropped some some useful statistics this morning about Costa Rica's struggles on U.S. soil. Certainly, they do punch above their weight. Um, they are a dangerous opponent. They're intelligent. Um, they're they're skilled. They have players playing in, in top leagues around the world. Uh, but they haven't won a competitive match on U.S. soil in quite a long time uh, against the U.S. At least, um, um, quoting Paul's piece here: In the last 15 competitive games at home, the U.S. is unbeaten against Costa Rica with 12 wins and three ties. Wow. So this, yeah. you know, this should this has always been a tough matchup on on Tico soil. For the for the U.S., yeah, I, I don't think they should they should approach it as anything other than a, a great opportunity to get three points against a team they should know very well. Um, on the flip side, you know, Costa Rica will will I think will, will come in with a, a game plan. They've had a little bit of an identity crisis, I would say, since the World Cup. You know, we saw them yeah. as a team that really defended like lions, um, broke out well, um, really had a great game plan for playing against um, you know elite opposition um, in Brazil uh, under new management. It's been it's been a bit of a struggle. I don't know that they know exactly who they are right at the moment. I don't know who exactly is their best lineup, and I'm not sure they do either. Um, they will be a tough proposition, but um, but but by no means a, a, a particularly daunting proposition. All right, let me, let me move um, away from the U.S. And, and their group, and obviously Costa Rica being the other CONCACAF team, and, and just take a, a look at Mexico's group: Mexico, Uruguay, Jamaica, Venezuela. Uh, Tom Marshall over at ESPN FC, guy we have regularly on the show. 
is targeting or is saying that this, this is a, a group that Mexico can win. And, and certainly they, they have to feel good about where they sit right now. And considering that draw, uh, you know, obviously Uruguay is a, a tough, combable opponent, but they know how to beat Jamaica and they certainly will be favorites over Venezuela. Yeah, I, I think this is this. It's hard to imagine how this draw could have gone any better for Mexico. Uh, these are enormous stadiums hosting this tournament, so um, you know no nation can fill enormous stadiums in the U.S. quite like El Tri. So I think El Tri is, is certainly the favorites to uh, a favorite to advance out of this group. The, the Uruguay match is going to tell them a lot about themselves. That's a really tough uh, tough matchup for them. But um, again, this is well, these will effectively be home matches for Mexico. And and I think uh, I think they have every reason to to go for it and and see this as a tournament they can win, you know. And they, and they, and they are familiar with Conmebol opposition. They routinely take part in South American tournaments, both at a club and international level. So um, so I think this this group and this tournament is is there for Mexico if they perform. Uh, and otherwise, I mean, any reason again, not exactly knowing what kind of teams these countries are going to bring, is there any reason to bet against chalk in Group B and D, which is where Brazil and Argentina are, are lining up? Obviously, Chile's the defending champion, but but I think we all see, especially if if, if Messi and company show up, uh, that 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 would be you know um, they would be one of the favorites, if not the favorite. Certainly, yeah. I mean, Argentina and Brazil have the way well cleared for them here. Uh, I think the likes of Bolivia and Ecuador have the ability, um, and maybe the maybe the tactical news to to um, to create a a scare. But um, you know, Argentina and Brazil certainly will be the favorites, and and rightly so. And even if they don't necessarily get every one of their stars uh, into the squad, you know, based on uh, club versus country issues and and uh, maybe Olympics taking away a few people, but I think that that shouldn't affect the outlook too much. Um, and Chile, Chile really are a fascinating case here. We'll see how well their their brand of uh, of soccer travels. Um, again, a, a team that. Had a very clear and very compelling uh, tactical and, and, and philosophical identity, uh, but with Sampaoli uh, on his way, you know, having departed, yeah. uh, they have a little bit to prove. I think both to themselves and to the world about, um, uh, you know, about their ability to sustain the kind of renaissance they've had over the last few years, and, and they'll have to do it in a, you know, fairly unfamiliar circumstances. I mean, these are going to be uh, there's going to be warm weather. Uh, large crowds, enormous amounts of travel. So there's certainly those are issues that affect everyone. But I think Chile may um, may find them more of a struggle than most. Yeah, one of the, the interesting things about, and not that this is going to decide anything on the field necessarily, Charlie. But when we look at the way that this tournament's going to, uh, you know, going to happen, it, it involves, as you said, big stadiums with big crowds. The Mexicans are going to draw their fans. We know that. Um, the USA will have a partisan group. How big depends probably on the opposition that they're facing. Colombians are going to be a lot of those, I imagine. There's going to be a lot of Costa Ricans. We lost Charlie. I apologize for that. I'm not sure what happened there. Just completely dropped Charlie for, for no apparent reason. Let me, let me see if I can get Charlie back here momentarily on the fly. Um, that was, uh, that was weird. Let's see if we can do that. I'll, I'll continue to pad by going, uh, and, um, and in the meantime, we'll see if Skype wants to cooperate here. As I get, uh, as I work to get Charlie back. Anyway, what I was saying there, what I was trying to lay out for Charlie is whether or not home field, uh, or, or whether or not partisan, um, uh, fan groups, whether or not the, the, the number of people supporting each team is going to have an impact on this, uh, on this tournament. All right. I'm not sure what's going on with Charlie's, uh, Skype machine. Maybe we can take a break and come back, take, get, grab Charlie and we'll, we'll use this. I'll get one more question maybe on Copa America and we'll use this as an opportunity to go, uh, to go into the U.S. women's national team situation as they close out, uh, Olympic qualifying with a win over Canada. Can I, can I get, can I get to a break real quick? Trevor, just to make sure I, I, I'm not springing this on anybody here. Okay, here, let's take a quick break. My apologies for this. Technology not cooperating. We'll get, do we have Charlie back? Charlie. Hey, yeah, hey, oh. Jason, sorry about that. that. Okay. I, I lost about power to... there. <laughs> oh, you lost power? Oh, yes. That's on my computer, not, not at the house. Oh, well, okay. Cause I was going to say, you have a child apologies. to take care of. These things are important. All right. My apologies. All right. So we are, uh, I, I, I was going to go to a break. We're going to abort that. We're going to stay on the air. Um, <laughs> I was just, I just, I just, the last thing here on the Copa America tournament is, you know, sort of a long-winded way of asking, do you think the the fan support is going to play a major factor for co- for countries that aren't the United States or Mexico? 
Uh, it certainly could. I think that it'll be fascinating to watch, uh, you know, countries that have sometimes had big crowds here uh, in the United States, like Peru, um, Ecuador. You know, occasionally we see them, we've seen them, you know, in some cases out, outshine the U.S. in, in friendlies and, and those sorts of things. So uh, Colombia, I think, has had big crowds. It's just it's going to be a question of geography and timing and, um, you know, and, and affordability, too, also. I mean, from what I've seen, I, I don't know what the ticket prices are like in all venues, but some of the ticket prices I've seen in in, um, in some of the locations for this tournament have been pretty ghastly. Um, you know, will this tournament inspire fans enough to, to, to take out another mortgage and maybe travel a significant amount of, of distance? Um, quite possibly, but but we'll have to wait and see. All right, so uh, we'll we'll see if uh, if anybody shows up again. The, the, yeah, the ticket prices may have a thing to uh, may have a part to play in that. Let's uh, let's talk about the U.S. women, uh, Charlie. Obviously, the better of the two U.S. Uh, national teams at the moment <laughs> uh, by a vast margin. Uh, world champions and now Concacaf Olympic qualifying tournament champions with a two nothing win over Canada. Both those teams going to Rio now. Now this played out, uh, I guess, uh, about as. Well, as you could have expected, 23 goals for, zero against. Um, you know, they had one real tight scoreline against, against Mexico, which, uh, you know, there was a controversial penalty there, but was, was, that, uh, was the result fair on balance? Probably. So, you know, what, what is there to say here as we wrap this thing up? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting that the timing, you know, happened to where the, the Copa America draw was taking place at, um, you know, at, at the same time as the, the uh, CONCACAF qualifying, Olympic qualifying tournament final down here in Houston. Um, and the, the atmosphere and the sort of the vibe and the, the, um, the spirit within the two fan groups could probably not be much more different at the moment. It was just particularly striking for me in, in, in a situation where I, I had a view on both. Um, the, the, the men's fans seem to be, uh, seem to be beset by doubts and, and fears and, uh, and sort of, you know, uncertainty uh, about this tournament, about the sort of the, the short-term uh, future of the, the program in general, whereas the women have really gone from strength to strength and have actually improved as a squad since winning the 2015 Women's World Cup. Know, right? uh, you know, with the retirement of Abby Wambach, um, uh, the retirement of Lauren Holiday, pregnancies for uh, sidelining um, Sid LaRue, and um, um, and Rodriguez, like they they they've lost a few of their sort of major personalities, and yet um, the players that have come in to replace them, in some cases, are teenagers or very young players in the early twenties. They have actually elevated the soccer IQ of the team. They've brought in uh, a, a more sophisticated tactical outlook, and and in some cases, a superior technical ability. <clears throat> and so this team is playing some of the best soccer. Uh, on a qualitative level that I've ever seen them play. And, and really, you know, Canada's the, the, the true test that they've had. And so I, I was kind of reserving judgment until yesterday because they hadn't really played an elite team w- with this new kind of rejiggered roster. Uh, and they, they faced up to a really rugged challenge from Canada. Canada were very physical yesterday. They were very organized, very tenacious. Um, and the U.S. kind of rode, at, rode that out. Um, they, they solved the puzzle and they kind of found a fifth gear and just uh, cruised away down the stretch. And so to hear the women talking last night after the game about um, what they're doing, how much better they can get, how excited they are about this new, um, you know, more possession-oriented philosophy and style with with passing, with movement, um, uh, a lot of uh, use of the high press uh, when they turn it over. Uh, It's really, I mean, this is a a team that is, even as world champions now, they seem to be ready to reach another level. And that's both exciting for their fans and I think probably frightening uh, for their uh, their opposition overseas. Yeah, you got uh, you got Morgan Bryan winning the golden ball. You got Tobin Heath, and we know her technical ability. You got uh, Lindsey Horan, who's who's now working her way into this team. Obviously, the the the, the back line, and maybe I'll touch on the the women's world eleven here in a second, Charlie. But Becky Sauerbrunn is, by most people's estimation, the best defender in the world at the moment, and and Mallory Pugh. This is the difference between another difference between the men's side and the women's side. Mallory Pugh, a teenager, all of that that question over whether she was going to turn pro. She's going to college. Here she is featuring in the Concacaf Olympic qualifying final. Now, you know the the stakes weren't all that high considering they'd already qualified, Charlie. But still, she's got a role to play. She's setting up Tobin Heath on the second goal. And meanwhile, on the other on the other side, Christian Pulisic is getting playing time for Dortmund, and we're still like, hold on, wait a second, don't play him yet. We're, we got to be careful about <laughs> these things. 
Yeah, it's fascinating. And, you know, the people have drawn parallels between the, the Freddie Adu case and Mallory Pugh, um, which I think there are some useful lessons to take from there. But, um, you know, the, the, I think Pugh's case really is a reminder of, one, there, there are, even with this, uh, all the doubts we have about our, our youth development system, there still are um, players coming through the system uh, especially on the girls' side, probably more so, but but not exclusively on the girls' side. Um, there are players coming through the system that, that do have um, uh, outstanding tactical ability, that have the mindset and the mentality to step in and and uh, and and play at this at this high level. Um, again, I mean, I, I I certainly understand why people are cautious about Pulisic. I actually don't think he'd have that hard of a time stepping into the U.S. national team if he was provided with the right support, the right atmosphere. Um, you know, again, there's, there's every case is, is an individual case, and to his credit, Jurgen Klinsmann emphasized that um, yesterday when he was asked about Pulisic. Um, I don't know if we'll see him next month. I don't know if we'll even see him this summer or between now and the summer. But um, you know, I think Pugh's case has shown if you give the player the right support and and create a you know positive atmosphere for them to find their feet, they can do it. Now that said, I, I think Pugh still does have a tough task. I mean, it's. It's in- inherently difficult as a uh, a teenager who's still doing uh, calculus homework, as people kept using that kind of uh, comparison, um, to, to step into a group that has 20-somethings and 30-somethings on it that are world champions. Um, but maybe that's easier than than, um, than trying to hop on with this U.S. men's program that's got you know so much other stuff swirling around. Uh, but you know we we have to give Jurgen Klinsmann credit again. He's 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 had some hits and misses in terms of bringing up kids, um, and uh, you know I don't see why why he he wouldn't want to keep trying. And, and Pulisic is one. I think there's some other kids to keep an yeah, eye on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know with Pew, both um, her teammates and her coach admitted this week that or this weekend that it is conceivable that the con- the current sort of incumbent route for a player like her right you you play an elite cl- youth club you go play college then eventually you turn pro usually after four full years of, of college um that may not be sufficient for a player of her caliber and and as jill ellis the coach emphasized there are other players like her coming up to the system that may face a similar choice i think at some point these kids are going to either skip college entirely which Lindsay Horan has already done, you know, when going abroad, um, or they're going to leave college early. I, I will be shocked if Mallory Pugh plays four years at UCLA. If she continues at the rate she's at, she simply will not find um, the optimal environment in that college system, even at an elite program like UCLA. Um, I'm hearing a lot of rumblings about this. Um, you know, behind the scenes, I think there's a lot of, of chatter and, and a lot of concern. So, you know, whether it's Pugh or others that follow after her, the, 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 what it means to be a, an elite female player um, is changing in this country. It, 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 okay, this, this is a, a much larger discussion that we don't have time for here, for here today. I know you have other things on your plate, Charlie, but there is there's certainly been the, 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 the conventional wisdom has, has, all, has been as recently as, as in the last 12 months that on both sides, the men's and the women's side, the United States suffers in developing... Um, instinctual players players who understand movement and space and 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 not just being technical but that's also certainly part of it you got to be able to make the pass i uh, can't just see the pass got to be able to make the pass is there is a tie i don't want to get too i don't want to paint with a broad brush i don't want to take a couple of examples like pulisic or or Heinemann or a couple other guys in that in, in that area maybe zalalem if you really want to say that and then on the on the women's side Hugh and, and players like her and, and imagine that that we've just fixed everything but is there something happening here on some level um you know it's it's i hesitate to compare the men's and women's sides too deeply because the landscapes are significantly different um there are still some some real fundamental issues in in um the the path that, that we guide these players down and there's still um a real shortage in terms of the 24-7 soccer culture um, that nurtures and cradles players and both challenges and, and prepares them for, for uh, outstanding careers. Um, but it, there are players that, that come through this system. There are players who are figuring out a road by which they can um, uh, reach levels of skill and understanding and intelligence uh, and performance that that used to be very elusive for for a typical American in their place, 
um, in some cases. And, and again, I, I hope we, we recognize that, that there are, there are very few uh, foolproof rules of thumb here that apply to all cases. Uh, every player is different. You know, Pulisic's path, um, is different from, uh, DeAndre Yedlin's path, uh, you know, and, and, and on and on. I mean, and th- this is the, the same reality in many ways of, of, years ago or decades ago still applies in the sense that each of these kids has to work with their family to, f- to find a way to develop as efficiently as possible. And I think certainly systematically we can do a lot more um, to, to raise the level here in this country so that a player doesn't have to make quite so many difficult choices. Um, but, but the opportunities are there and there's no reason, there's nothing inherently inferior uh, about um, a 14 or 15 or 16 year old player who has um, kind of found the recipe and found the rhythm for challenging him or herself to the utmost and, and keeps finding a new level to test themselves at. I think that's really what this comes down to is, mm-hmm. is every player um, should be uh, find that balance between, um, between uh, stability um, and, and, um, and adversity and keep, keep pushing their way into greater and greater challenges and, and get up to speed with those challenges. And I think we're seeing those kids do it. You know, the, our, our kids can do it, even if it's not necessarily, uh, you know, the, the hallmark of an, of an efficient system that's clinking along like a well-oiled machine. Sure, yeah. There's still kids coming out of this. Um, and we have to do our best to, to yeah, help those yeah. individuals in a, whatever way they can be. No, no one is going to say this is an efficient machine or even a well-run machine, but occasionally it does spit out a working product. Now, <clears throat> Very, 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 very briefly, and again, trying to avoid generalizing, are we likely to see, just in, in put on your, uh, uh, you know, put on your, your prediction hat, are we more likely to see players like Kristen Pulisic coming, in, you know, into his own in a, in a place like Dortmund, maybe not on that level, but certainly in some of the bigger leagues in Europe and, and some of these foreign teams, or are we, are we going to actually see a recognition of some of the better talent that we're developing is... I guess it has to be both, doesn't it? It has to be MLS. It has to be the American academies in addition to the kids who do take their chance over there and, and you know, in, in case of Pulisic, have a, a passport that allow them to do so. Yeah, I mean, Pulisic is far from the first kid to, to move over to a big German club or, sorry, a big European club at, at, a, at, at this sort of tender age. You know, the next question is, well, okay, he's, he's doing great right now. There's no, almost entirely positive things to say and observe. Um, what happens um, if he gets uh, if he gets dumped sort of summarily? What happens if his contract isn't renewed or or a managerial change sort of jars his his uh, ascent? Um, because there's I've, I've seen too many cases where um, American kids, um, whether it's through not being qu- quite good enough or or circumstances outside their control. Um, everything can change in a flash over there because it is such a cutthroat environment. So what happens next, right? H- how does that player adapt? What sort of su- support can a player um, look to from, from whether it's the federation or clubs here? You know, is there a place for them to play? Um, if, if Pulisic hits a, a tough run of form or sustains a serious injury or something like that happens, um, you know, we need to do, to do our best as a, as a culture and as a, uh, and then, and the infrastructure of that culture, we need to, to, to support them in whatever way we can find a way for them to continue developing. Um, you know, we know we can talk about so many names who, who were making us this excited at this point in the, in the past five, 10, yeah. even 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so. it's one of those things you don't want to get ahead of yourself. We've been burned before Charlie, but at the same time. You know, uh, you're go- we're going to reach uncharted territory. I'm not sure Pulisic is that quite yet. I mean, you know, a couple of substitute appearances and one start where he played 45 minutes, but it's getting close, isn't it? It is. It is. I think so. Um, and, and again, you know, each individual, it, the, the U.S. system is very sort of cluttered and chaotic, um, but there, there are multiple routes to maximize your potential. Um, and, you know, and this isn't this isn't entirely unique. You know, I can think of a lot of really top-notch players that um, you know maybe don't want to leave home. Um, let's say you're not of that personality style. Well, can we provide an environment for them right now? You know, I think Pulisic is at an inherent advantage, obviously, to another kid his age in a program back here at home. Um, uh, you know, there there is not an environment in the U.S. that can replicate what he's getting in Dortmund, but. You know, can we get close? Can we can we set up a kid to where even if they're not where he is at seventeen, maybe they're in a similar zone at twenty? I, I think that's possible, and I, I know the federation and and the clubs and the leagues um, 
are, are seeking ways to do that. Um, the, the intent is there by everyone. The question is in the execution. And we still have big gaps in the experiences that these kids have from one club or one market to another. So um, I think the, the tide has to lift all across the, the, the board here at home. Charles Bohm, C-B-O-E-H-M on Twitter. You should be following him uh, for many a reason. Follow his work at SoccerWire.com, uh, MLSSoccer.com, and other places. Uh, Charlie, appreciate uh, jumping on on a Monday, and hopefully that, that, that computer continues to work. I know that's important <laughs> to what you do. For Thanks. Me. Always a pleasure, Jason. There you go. Charlie Bohm joining us on Soccer Morning. Let's step aside. We'll open up the phone lines. We'll talk to you on Monday. Uh, Copa America draw, whatever else. The developmental path, as always, Soccer Morning, Backdeal.com. Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning Monday, talking about the Copa America 2016 draw. Yes, it's the Centennial Edition. That's why they call it Centenario. Uh, it's Spanish. You can figure it out because it's very close to the English word, Centennial, Centenario. Anyway, here we go, the United States into a very difficult group, Colombia, Costa Rica, and Paraguay. And the question is, can the United States advance out of this group? And, and should there be a strong expectation that the United States advance out of this group? Can there only be a knockout round appearance and that's it and we all go home happy? That's sort of where I want to go with this. Let's talk to Aaron in Jersey. Hey, Aaron. Hey, how's it going? It's going well, sir. What's on your mind? Well, I mean, I think we got another great seating. I mean, I think that's what Klinsman wants. Um, and I think if he gets us out of this group like he did in the World Cup, I mean, I think he's done his job. I mean, independent of all the hating and all the, you know, noise that gets generated over five or ten years, uh, I think big picture, if you get out of groups of death, that says you're somebody. I mean, and, and this is as much of a group of death as you could engineer in, in, in this region, that's for sure. All right, so at this point, again, sort of where the United States sits in the evolution of the program under Jurgen Klinsmann, and, and, and I'll, you know, I'm one of those guys who flat out says I have no idea where we're supposed to go with this thing and how we're supposed to feel about Klinsmann at this point. What is the, you know, what, what, what is good enough? I mean, the truth is, if you, you know, I mean, if you look at the math here, you need a win in two draws. That's pretty much the math. And so if we can engineer a win in two draws against Costa Rica, Paraguay, and Colombia, then, then we are as good as we've ever been, regardless of how horrific that looks like from the internals. It means at a production level, we punch through those teams. And to me, that's, that's the standard, you know, in the end. I mean, the, you, I mean, the Germans really don't care how good they look. And, and I'm not trying to be comparable here. It's not an equivalence. But my point is, is that, you know, in the end, it's, it's about getting through at least for a while so that we generate enough demand for our best players and they're able to go abroad. And, and look, if we can get through that group stage, there's no reason why we won't have five or ten more players playing in Germany and and maybe even a few other leagues in in in, in Europe. Well, it looks like Germany's kind of the core league at this point. Okay, it, it is yeah. okay. So is the goal to do well in the tournament? I mean, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna use an an Alexi Lalas line from the last World Cup. Why bother if you don't think you can win it? If that's not the goal, if the goal is to get a couple of guys to Germany, I mean, that that seems sort of. I don't know. That's well, reductive. Oh, a bit. So, so, so I guess what I would say is we tried it the other way, you know, team rah rah for twenty years. Now we're taking a systematic approach. I mean, at the end of the day, did did the Germans really think they could win in o two or o six? No, I mean it was about build. I mean, and, 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 and that's the realism that's required. And and I would say Klinsman, if he can get another five or ten players in the next cycle 
really playing in Europe. And by the way, having a kid who's pretty much one of the top three, four people off the bench at Dortmund, that we've never had a player in a long time playing at that level, <laughs> see, see much how, less that see, young. See we've how careful we have to be young. with this? I think, it's, I think it's interesting, Aaron, just after talking to Charlie, how careful we have to be with ourselves in that, in that moment. You're like, of course, how, how can we get, how excited should we be and how, how much should we push for a player like Christian Pulisic to uh, arrive on the national team level? How, how hard should we push that? I mean, I'm not, I'm not calling for him to start or anything. I'm not even calling for him to make the bench yet. I, I do want to see him, you know, settle in at Dortmund to the point where you're, you're really sure of his level before you heap international responsibilities on top of that. I, I completely is, agree with you. So, so my view is you bring him so he gets the experience. He gets the attitude, which he'll already be experiencing, mind you, because he's going to get ready to play Bayern Munich. And I don't care what anyone says. No matter who you're playing, it's nothing like playing, you know, German attacking blitzkrieg machines. Oh, and they happen to play football, too. I mean, it's just, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the I, and I'm not trying to put it all on one kid. So that's not what I'm trying to say here. What I'm trying to say is that if Klinsman can help, and there's no, re, there's no way that we're not getting all these players even considered in Germany because it, you know, because the Klinsman's around. If Klinsman wasn't here, if we had Bruce Arena, how many players would we have in Germany right now? Uh. You know, I mean, so at the end of the day, I think we're getting deeper into European league play, which I think matters. I think it's critical, to be honest. Um, and, and that doesn't mean our MLS isn't a very important part of our team, just like it is in every other domestic league. You know, the Argentine league is very important to the Argentina team in Brazil and so on. But getting those half dozen top players playing somewhere else matters. It matters for the higher end quality okay. production in the highest end matches. Yeah. And, and I guess that's my standard. If we can get out of group stages, especially group of death stages. I mean, we're not, we're, you know, like, like we're not on cruise control like Mexico. Like if Mexico doesn't get out of the group, uh-huh. like they could shut the whole program down. <laughs> you know, it, it's just at the end of the day, it, it's like their, their, their group's kind of set up yeah. for them. You know, our group is like punishment. If we can get out of that, that's real. Okay. I mean, that's right. as real fair, as fair we've enough. ever been in fair our enough. history. Yeah, it's so much about the draw, it makes it difficult to even assess. I mean, you know, Aaron, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on because i got Eddie in Brooklyn lined up. He's a Costa Rica fan. We're going to talk about Costa Rica, obviously, in the U.S. group. But I appreciate the call. It's some interesting questions. Uh, thanks a lot, man. I, 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 talking about these groups and then – Trying to determine again whether it's a World Cup or in this case Copa America, if the United States and Mexico make it to the same point and 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 then lose, who had the better tournament? I mean, it, it, it's it's open to interpretation, but again, the United States has to get through not just uh, uh, not just uh, Colombia, not just Paraguay from Comptable, but also probably the well the best con- the best Concacaf team they could have gotten in the tournament, uh, Costa Rica in the group as well. Eddie's on the line. Hey, Eddie, what's up? Hey, what's up? I'm battling bronchitis, so bear with me. Okay, um, fair enough. I kind of feel like I have to be a protector of Costa Rica for the next, I don't know, three months until this thing kicks off. Because I, I notice when I hear a lot of people talk about you know the state of my national team and where we are, there's a lot of narratives that they buy into that aren't factually accurate. So all respect to Charlie Bone, but I got to put homie in check. Costa Rica knows its identity. Um 2015 was more of a transition year for us. I kind of feel like I banged this, uh, this drum so many times. But we were able to locate and, and find a lot of young local talent, which is why you see a kid like Matarita in NYCFC, which is why you saw Johan Venegas go to Montreal, which is why David Ramirez got a loan out to League One. We were able to identify a lot of young local talent to fill in the holes and strengthen our squad from the World Cup. I think a lot of people got caught up in our results in 2015 because of, you know, when Trump gets kicked out, uh, Pinto gets kicked out, all that, all that stuff, you know, the, the transition until we get to my chill now. But we, we know who our best 11 is, it's just that our best 11 hasn't been healthy at the same time for a while. Oviedo's been battling injuries. Navas has been touch and go. Sosa Borges has foot surgery. Nelson Taylor misses the Gold Cup. So there's been a lot of factors that have made Costa Rica look weakened from the World Cup, but they're still there. It's not that 
a lot of that is gone. It's it just hasn't been it hasn't hit the perfect storm as it did at the World Cup. Now we uh, you starting to see it now in World Cup qualifying. Unlike Mexico and, and and the U.S., Costa Rica's World Cup qualifying, we actually got a tough group, and we beat Haiti at home, and then we traveled to Panama and we beat them in Panama. And you're starting to see now the same 5-3-2 that we played in the World Cup, the same kind of defensive tactic that we played, that same identity that people knew from 2014. It's there now in 2016, and people are healthy now. And we're actually playing at a higher level. Ryan Reese is in Sporting Lisbon. You know, Kayla Nowitz in Madrid. Joel Campbell's getting minutes at Arsenal. So everything is coming together for us. Having said all that, uh, I think Costa Rica's, I guess, priority for the Copa America comes down to the, the World Cup qualifiers in March. I think if we get enough points against Jamaica and and um and we qualify for the next round, that you can see Navy players taking some time off during the summer to recover from long European seasons. I, I, if if Costa Rica wants to make this a priority for Machida wants to make this a top priority, I think you could see them making a run like it did at the World Cup. But I'm not a hundred percent sure that that's the route that Machida wants to go right now. Mm. Well, I mean, that's the X factor for the whole tournament, for, for everybody. I mean, I think the, we, we know the U.S. being host and also being a, a, a program that has had some serious problems over the last uh, you know, 12 months has to pray, take their best side and attempt to go as deep as possible um, for a lot of reasons. But everybody else, I mean, even the, Con- even the Common Bowl teams, Eddie, the, the, you know, even, I mean, certainly Chile coming off of a win, they don't, they don't and, and, and as Charlie said, Sampioli's gone. So now they're going to be transitioning, but Argentina, Brazil, uh, Uruguay, these, these are not necessarily nations that are going to feel intense pressure to come, to come here and win the tournament. I, I don't think. And, and certainly, as you said, the, the more, the more European based talent you're relying on, the less likely they're all going to be showing up and, and ready to go. Maybe you're better off, uh, or, or maybe they beg off and, and then you have, I mean, if, if Lionel Messi says, I don't want to play, I mean, that that's a disaster for the for the tournament and for Concacaf and for all those fans who are going to show up in our, in Argentina jerseys and, and want to watch Lionel Messi, but no one can blame him necessarily. No, I think I think there's also the Olympics that's going to get in the way for some of these teams. I know some of the yeah. players will be able to go play in Rio. You know, a guy like Neymar maybe playing in Rio and bringing home a gold medal for Brazil, being one of those eligible older players would be more important than winning this cash cow. That really, that's all this tournament is. So, because maybe there's more prestige in here for that. So, I, I think everybody's going to have that problem, minus the U.S., because yeah, you guys kind of have to show up, being that it's on your soil. And and the, that that whole uh, 15 matches unbeaten thing on American soil. Let me let me just put an asterisk to that. Uh, this isn't World Cup qualifying. You guys aren't going to have the same kind of control over tickets and location and all that that would normally give you true home field advantage. Um, the match that we play against each other is in Chicago, right? So I know Chicago has one of the best populations for, for Costa Ricans in the U.S., um, except for maybe Houston and I think the, the tri-state areas, the, the other two top areas. So we're, we're going to have a presence in the stadium, too. You know, it's, it's not going to snow. That's another one. So it don't, it's not going to be the same kind of environment and competitive matches that we've been used to seeing. I'm sorry, I was distracted by a really terrible tweet. All right, um, Eddie in Brooklyn giving us some, some insight here on Costa Rica. I mean, look, look, I don't... Anybody who knows anything is not going to look past Costa Rica. It'd be stupid too. Um, so, I mean, we've got to, as as Vickery said, and I alluded to earlier in his piece at ESPN FC, this is the probably the the most balanced group in the tournament. Uh, sort of like a couple of X factors with Colombia side, um, as you said, Costa Rica. That's hard to judge or been hard hard to judge because of uh, because of fitness and because of some other issues, and an American side that is completely unknown. Uh, we, we really don't know what kind of team's going to show up. I mean. Last year, or sorry, 2014, Klinsman gets them out of a difficult group, but nobody was going to say that they did that playing some playing great soccer. So, can they continue to do that? Are they going to take that approach? I mean, you're playing Costa Rica in Chicago with a chance to advance on the line. You can't, you you can't at home, on home soil. I don't care if there's thirty thousand Costa Ricans in the stands, Eddie Klinsman can't sit back, bunker in, and 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 let his goalkeeper be peppered by twenty five shots. That'd be ridiculous. No, and if that makes you guys open up, that'll be even better because I know who your left back is, but right now I fancy Joel Campbell going against anybody you put at left back at the moment. And (laughs) and I think, I think, well, everybody fears Colombia. I will say this for Costa Rica. 
the schedule works in their favor. If they want to go for it, they can clinch a knockout round berth before they even play Columbia. So that's that that may be something that they look towards as the tournament gets closer and who they're gonna call up. Because if they get three points against Paraguay, it's gonna be the same thing in the World Cup. You know, it's it's what can you get out of Italy in this case, what can you get out of the United States? And that can set you up before your last match. Eddie in Brooklyn calling in. Good insight. I appreciate the call, man. Glad you did uh, get in after that draw yesterday. We'll, uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Got a couple of months. Got qualifiers. Got you know players. Got to stay healthy, Eddie, because you know we got a couple guys to go down between now and then for for everybody. Not you know not not saying Costa Rica or the United States in, in particular, but we could have uh, we could have some injuries down the stretch of the European season, especially for those players from Brazil, from Argentina, from Uruguay who are in Champions League as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just focused on. Home home against Jamaica in March. That's all I care about right now. Yep. All right, man. Appreciate the call. There goes. Uh, yes. Yeah, rest that voice up. Eddie in Brooklyn, uh, giving us some some Costa Rica. And hey, look, yeah, a World Cup qualifying more important than Copa America. I mean, let's not take it for granted every time out, people. Washington, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going, Jason? Um, just just wanted just a couple of things that you 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 mentioned just now. Um, specifically, this one is World Cup qualifying more important than Copa America. I I have to say yes for a couple of reasons. Okay, um, one is I mean, is this Copa America even a FIFA date? Oh uh, yeah, it's on the FIFA calendar. Yes. It, it is a FIFA day? Okay, I wasn't sure because well, but, but see something that, that I read earlier kind of bothered me about this tournament, okay. and, and maybe you can correct me. Is it true that this whoever wins this Copa America is not going to be considered a linear Copa America champion, meaning it's not going to dethrone uh, the last champion? This is just a special uh, uh, tournament that, that celebrates... Uh, the Centenario, but it's not really the Copa America champions. You're not dethroning. You're not going to be in line as a Copa America champion. It, it, is I, that accurate? Yeah, I, I, man, I mean that that that's getting into semantics and technicalities. At Washington, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, the I, champion I, of this tournament's name. You know how all the names yeah, are on, yeah, the, yeah. on the cup. Sure. Is the, is the champion of this tournament's name going to be put on the cup? That's my question. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's a good question. I think for from an American perspective, it ultimately doesn't matter at all, uh, if only because... I think, it, I think it matters a lot, because I think that that, that, one, that one question, right, that one aspect of it, will determine the incentive of the South Americans bringing their A-team. Right, because right now, I mean, you corrected me because I thought I didn't. I did not think this was a FIFA date, right? But you're telling me it is a FIFA date, so that's an incentive, right? But um, uh, right now they got the, the Olympics, uh, especially Brazil has the Olympics in uh, in Rio, and um, you know, if this is true that they're not going to be uh, the lineage champion, then what's the incentive for them bringing their 18? Now, if the the champion's name goes on the cup, then there is incentive. I think that. Um, South American pride would dictate, no, you have to bring your A-team. Because what if, I mean, we, we don't have slouches. Yeah, we're not the favorite, but USA, Mexico, Costa Rica, just to name the top three, we're not slouches. We, we got a shot at this thing, yeah. right? Yeah. So would they be embarrassed if our name ends up on the cup? And I think that that is a major point. Because if that's true, then yes, South America well, has okay, to look, look, there, there, Otherwise, we're going to get a bunch of bench warmers. Yeah, well, there's a couple of, okay, well, there are some caveats, even if it's not in the same line as the traditional Copa America. By the way, Commonwealth has been incredibly haphazard about when they hold this tournament for pretty much the entire history. Now, they like did. Every, one year, every three years, every two years, every did, four right. years, yeah. They did choose to go to a pretty hard every four year uh, schedule back in 2007. And it's been 2007, 2011, 2015. Now, this is obviously a special addition that's happening because it's well, because it's a money grab, but also because it's the hundredth <laughs> because it's the hundredth anniversary. Now, um, does that like so? So, so it's the centennial, right? That that alone, regardless of whether or not it's a different trophy or if it's in the same tradition as the regular Copa America every four years, Washington, it's still the centennial, and I think that may mitigate some of what you're saying if it doesn't count. In the same I hope way, you're right. Um, hold on, let me just. I'm reading, I'm reading from from CA 2015. This is the Copa America 2015 uh, website. So I'm just trying to figure out um, 
what what I think there's a detail here. The the ten, 2016 Centennial Copa America will take place in the United States as a special celebration of the centenary of Copa Bowl and the Copa America itself. Normally held every four years, Copa America is the oldest international football tournament in the world. Blah blah blah. Uh, the Centennial Copa America will be the first time it's been held outside of the United States. Uh, That's outside South America. Yeah, outside. Sorry, that's what I meant to say. My brain just jumped ahead there. Outside of uh, outside of South America, uh, a new trophy will be created for the event, which will be unveiled. Uh, I guess they already unveiled that trophy. I don't remember seeing it. Well, no. See, that's another thing. They didn't because they were supposed to unveil it at the last tournament. I, I remember that, and I paid attention to the final just so I could see the new trophy, and it was never unveiled. Huh. Interesting. Okay. So that was the that was the word as of April of 2015, and we don't know exactly where they stand on the trophy situation <laughs> right now. I mean, look, I I, I think a lot of people are going to look past everything you're saying, Washington. It does have some value to the argument of whether or not the the South American teams bring their best squads. I've read, you know, and we're not going to know until they're named. And I've read a little bit of back and forth. All right, let's take Messi, for example, the most high, high pro, the highest profile player in the tournament, you know, short of, well, he is, with Neymar being a close second. Messi, I, I, I've seen it said by Tata Martino that Messi does not want to play in the Olympics so that he can play in this tournament because he could be, you know, right. he could be the overage player for Argentina at the Olympics. At which they want to win as well. So I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Now, to answer another question that you had asked, if the United States and Mexico make it to the same point in the tournament, who had the better tournament? By far, it was the United States. Because look who they have to come out of. They got Colombia, Costa Rica, Paraguay yeah. versus Mexico, who have Uruguay, Jamaica, and Venezuela. With all respect yeah, to Uruguay, yeah, I know. Jamaica, Venezuela was, is a, you know, I know, you know but, what I'm but, but, but you know, Washington, as the roles were reversed, and the United States finished first in that group that Mexico's got, and Mexico finished second in the tough group, we would be like, oh, we won our group and you didn't. Ha ha ha. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I'd be the first one to say it. Okay, so there you go. Lie. So, I mean, I think that Mexico can be happy with their draw because it gives them a path to something. I, I got to look at the rest. I got to look at the, how the rest of the tournament plays out in terms of matchups. I mean, if uh, if second place, uh, I, whatever, I, I got to see who they would get in the uh, in the quarterfinal stage because that that obviously that obviously was going. You know, who they're likely to get in the quarter, in the quarterfinal stage because that's going to determine a lot. As to whether or not they can go, uh, you know, make a semifinal appearance. All right, so we got they're they're in uh, Mexico's in Group C. If they win Group C, they get the Group D win, uh, runner up, and in, in Group D is Argentina, Chile, Panama, and Bolivia. So you're likely to Most get one. Gonna be Chile. Yeah, you're, you're probably going to get Chile, and that's that's definitely not an easy easy match for for the Mexicans. So it's you know this that's why this tournament's fascinating, right? Because there right. are there are several different possibilities here. That, that they, 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 can, yeah. I, can I ask, because I haven't seen the bracket, so if the Americans win Group A, if we end up winning Group A, um, we get uh, B2? Because if we come in second in Group A, we get B1, is that right? If we finish uh, second in Group A, we get B1. If we finish, yes, So we're going right. to get Brazil in the, in the yeah, next if, round. If they finish second in group, in group A and Brazil wins Group B, the United States would face Brazil in the quarterfinals. Now, they, they, if they somehow manage to win it, let's, let's imagine that possibility – the likely uh, the likely team they'll face is Ecuador, but there's always Ecuador, I, yeah. I suppose there's always a chance Peru could shock some people. I, I don't yeah, expect. I would that. think it would be Ecuador. Yeah, yeah. it's probably going to be Ecuador. So, you know, and, and, and trust me, I mean, obviously we'd rather have Ecuador than Brazil. But then again, you know, I, 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 you go out to Brazil in the quarterfinals, there's not a whole lot of shame in that. You go, you lose to Ecuador in the quarterfinals. Uh, you know what I mean? It's a little bit different. I know what story. you're saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Right. I, I, I mean, I always bet with my heart. So I'm whatever pool I go into, I'm betting the United States wins the cup. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see. There you go. All right, man. I appreciate All right, it. Take care, Good talking to you, Washington, up in uh, up in New York. All right, a couple of things on on Twitter, just in the interest of uh, of, of equal time. Mike, uh, a lot of Klinsman s potential excuses from Eddie in Brooklyn today regarding Costa Rica this summer. All right. Uh, Robert from, from LA. With Howard Guzan not playing in Europe and Hamid out through injury, who do you see starting in goal? Now, it remains to be seen what the situation is with the goalkeepers when we actually get to the tournament. Now, coming up next month, it, it's some issues. I mean, do you just automatically go with Guzan? Do you, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the goalkeeping situation for the United States is suddenly an issue, not necessarily because there's not talent in the pool for the Americans, but because 
the the three guys you've identified as your top three, and usually that's as deep as you're going to need to go, they are all in various states of trouble right now in terms of playing time. Two benchings and a major injury. Does that mean you turn to somebody like Nick Romando, who you certainly trust, who can do the job, has not ever been the number one? Do you give that to somebody young? I mean, you know, look, Hor- Horvath, I don't think that he's the guy yet, right? Do you look across... MLS for a guy like Luis Robles or Steve Clark or uh, Dan Kennedy. I'm not. I'm, I mean, I'm sure I'm missing a, a bunch of guys in MLS who could maybe step into the job. I mean, that is a good question, Robert. I, I don't know, and it, it depends on what you're t- talking about. Next month's qualifiers, which happen about a month from now, or the goal. Uh, sorry, or the Copa America tournament. I hope we have some sort of resolution on the on the goalkeeper situation by the time we get to Copa America 2016. I'll just say that. All right. Uh, phone lines have dried up a bit. Um, I don't know if I've even given the number this morning, but I think all of you know it, 646-832-3909. Let me just roll through, check and see if there's anything I'm missing in terms of uh, my notes and catching up here on a Monday. Um, we've got uh, a big soccer morning on SiriusXM coming up that you're going to want to be partaking in if you have a subscription over there. If you don't have a subscription, then why don't you come and join me? It's fun. 11 o'clock uh, Eastern on um, Sirius XM F- FC. Channel 85 on your satellite dial. Uh, Bo chipping in thinks that Tim Howard can do one more tournament. I, I I think he's probably good enough to get by. I mean, this is this is not this is not the Claxons are going off. There is no goalkeeper. Even if Guzan and Howard have been benched or have been questioned as to the, whether or not they should be the starters with their Premier League teams, certainly they can get the job done. Depending on the level, I mean, depending on when we go. I, I, look, I don't expect Tim Howard to to make a gaffe. Is he is he quite as good as he used to be? No, no. But there's there's not a whole lot of reason to doubt Tim Howard's ability to get the job done in a in, in a major tournament over a course of a couple of weeks. All right, that's the opportunity. Go ahead and step aside. Thank you very much to Charlie Bohm for his appearance on today's program. Go follow him on Twitter, CBOEHM. Follow us at Soccer Morning. Uh, Backheel, that's also a thing that we have. Backheel.com is the Twitter handle. And, uh, and, and I, will, I will talk to you tomorrow. Bye.